You're listening to the Wheelhouse Baseball Podcast, a podcast that discusses historic games, quirky stats, and obscure players from MLB history. Get out the right grid and the mustard this time, Grandma! It is a grand salami! Here are your hosts, Jim Tucker, Jeremy Radajek, and Mikey Kubaki Jr. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Wheelhouse Baseball Podcast. You're listening to episode number 2.5, season 2, episode 5. I am your host, Jim Tucker, and I'm joined, as always, to my right, Chicago White Sox fan, Slim Rata, Jeremy Ratajack. How we doing? Hey, how we doing tonight? Um, you know what? I am not too grateful for the for being introduced first on tonight's episode. Um, I feel as if I might be introduced first by default. Yes, absolutely. Mikey Kubaki is currently tending to uh, other ventures right now. Yeah, we're uh, we're thinking it's a one. Yeah, confirmed one. Confirmed. He's out. Ah, qu- very quick too. Am I? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, very quick too. And uh, confirm it was a one. Yeah. Hello, Mikey. Might not, might not be able to confirm a hand wash though. Yeah, I definitely didn't hit the twenty second CDC recommendation. I'll tell you that. I got hand sanitizer. We're good. Hi, hand sanitizer. Um, <laughs> good to be back. Two point five. Um, Today, we're going to talk about the most interesting man in baseball that you've probably never heard of. And when we think of interesting characters, um, names that pop into your head, Bartolo Colon, interesting guy. Fun Uh, guy. There's a lot of fun with Bartolo Colon. Yeah. Fan favorite. Yep. Who are some other goofballs, wheelhouse-ish? Look, yeah, look no further than the Wheelhouse Hall of Fame. I was no, just, those, those yeah, he took the words right out of my guy. mouth. Anyone in our Hall of Fame, just about. Um, yeah, you got the the John Rocker types. He was a little, little out there. Yeah, Craig um, Council. Oh, um, yeah, just yeah, batting stance alone. Completely just went blank there. Uh, pitcher, Zach Rinky, very yeah. oddball. Yeah, big time. Greg Maddox kind of messed up as a teammate, from what we've heard. I guess some yeah. some great stories that have been passed around. So, um, Mikey stumbled across this article in his research, trying to find a worthy candidate for the Wheelhouse Baseball Hall of Fame. Very worthy, but does not meet our very very stringent requirements. Yeah, the one of the main points to our. Hall of Fame is the fact that you can't be in other Hall of Fames, baseball-related Hall of Fames. Correct. Um, if Ted Williams was not in baseball Hall of Fames, he would be a candidate, although he is in a fishing and an aviation Hall of Fame. Those are separate. Correct. But he's kind of a Major League Hall of Famer, so that would you know nullify him. This gentleman also can't. He just can't be in our wheelhouse Hall of Fame. So instead of giving him one third of an episode. He's getting an entire one because of the career he had. And the, um, oh, we don't have a drum roll sound bite. The, the man we're talking about, you know him. Actually, you probably don't. George <laughs> Brunette. Yes. George Brunette. Love it. Let's, a run of luck. Fascinating article here. The, the article in, most of the content that we're referencing is from an article titled, He Had a Hall of Fame Pitching Career 
It began at age 39. George Burnett pitched in 33 consecutive seasons. That's a subtitle. This can be found on MLB.com, and the author of it was uh, Mike Petriello. You can find him on Twitter at Mike underscore Petriello, P-E-T-R-I-E-L-L-O for all of you. Big though, fan of him, by the way. Pretty active um, baseball, Twitter baseball. Well, that, and he, he's really active on MLB Network, too, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of – because he is someone who is very much younger, new age analytics, but he doesn't live and die by them. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the way that he attacks his ana- analysis of the game. Yeah. Before we get into our our episode dedicated to Mr. Brunette, we do uh, we should tell the listeners about the Overtime Sports Network. Mikey, you're rocking a red Overtime Sports Network hoodie. Why don't you tell the listeners about the Overtime Sports Network? Um, the Overtime Sports Network is just a collection of a bunch of guys being dudes. Um, we have multiple podcasts. We're always looking for writers. I think that's the – we have some guys that have sporadically written blogs. We're looking for that next guy to, like, really pump out blogs the way we like to pump out podcasts here at Wheelhouse Baseball. Um, but you're going to get your, your gambling advice. You're going to get college basketball. You're going to get – when football season happens, you might get some fam divided. We're never really sure with that. Right. Obviously, you got your baseball stuff here and tons of WWE coverage as well. Uh, sports entertainment, professional wrestling. We cover AEW as well, please. I'm, I'm sorry. You're right. Uh, yes, just the, the most exciting show in sports entertainment. We actually just hit episode number 50. Kyle Gagliardi, the president of Overtime Sports Network, is the host of that show, and I co-host it. 50 episodes in. We Hot on the Mark has really left its mark. Yes, we're trying to leave our there. mark uh, on the podcast community, um, but I am thankful that we have hit our stride here with Wheelhouse as well. Find us on uh, two. Twitter, not us, but uh, Overtime OTSN yes. as a whole, at underscore OTSN, Yes, and some Wix site with a lot yes, of different OT types of com slash OTSN. Yes, um, that one. Yeah. Uh, if you go to that website, here's the, the here's the news. Okay, go to Twitter at underscore OTSN. You can also follow him on Instagram, and we're on YouTube. Look for the scoreboard um, on Twitter at underscore OTSN. The link to the the actual site, the blog where all the podcasts are listed, is on the Twitter bio. There is a merch page. You can get a T-shirt, hoodie. Uh, we got to get a wheelhouse. The new hoodies shirt. are out now. Um, yeah, he's wearing. Um, confirm you like the gray more than the red. Yes, but but the red with not. the logo on it. I do. Yeah, I, I solely chose red because I have a ton of black and gray in my closet, which kind of blew me away I like when the I red. picked this. I don't mind it. Um, I think the gray is actually that that like kind of stonewash gray. I really like that. Yeah. That's the color I went with the uh, overtime uh, sports network happy hour T shirt that I got, which. <laughs> By the way, those T-shirts are—they feel great, but that particular logo, love it. Yeah, the T-shirts are nice, no doubt. Um, yeah, we we definitely could use uh, some wheelhouse. Um, get a wheelhouse dry fit though. Let's upgrade. Uh, we're not actually in control of that. So. Okay, all right. But we can we can probably make some wheelhouse stuff happen. So, uh, <laughs> let's talk about George Burnett. Um, Mikey, would you like me to steer the ship? Would you like to steer the ship? Uh, Drive us, baby. Okay. All aboard, choo-choo, mother truckers. Uh, We're on our way. Now, um, I'm going to just read the opening paragraph, okay? It says, The most interesting player you've never heard of pitched in at least 33 consecutive professional seasons from 1953 to 1985. And that's just what we can verify. 
He holds a share of the major league record for most uniform numbers worn and a share of the Angels record for most losses in a season. He owns the minor league record for most strikeouts. He's a member of the Mexican League Hall of Fame. This is all just barely scraping the surface of an incredible baseball life. Um, Mikey originally pitched this idea a few weeks back, and we're like, "Ah, I don't know. But once you get into the article, um, you say what a lot. Like, what? A lot of weird stuff with this guy's life. Yes. And it's crazy to think that um, one of my favorites is actually it would be the very next sentence if you're reading this article. I I think this alone is just kind of wild. He threw two no-hitters in his career 21 years apart. Yes. Most people don't even pitch 21 years. Most people don't pitch 21 years. Most people don't throw two professional no-hitters. Um, he was once signed by the Philadelphia A's, but he was also pitched as recently as the Reagan administration, a career span that roughly coincides with the two time period settings of back to the future. Yes. Um, so there's some good and there's some kind of historically bad as well. One instance of that, Jeremy, he once issued five bases loaded walks and a hit by pitch. All part of like the one of the worst statistical innings in a single inning. Correct. Ever. Yes, uh, probably the worst inning in major league history. I, well, well he, he was brought in with the bases loaded, though, so we we got it. Okay, so he didn't load the bases. Yeah, up, we got. But that. he also didn't do a whole lot to get out of that jam either. Didn't do a lot of unloading the bases. Correct. Uh, he's also the victim of a, a a tough stretch here. This this one was again. This is one of those what moments. He spent over a month in the minors pitching over 50 innings over that month without his team scoring a run for him while he was pitching. 50 consecutive innings. So the Jose Quintana of the olden days. Zero run support. My See, that I'm kind of the opposite of that in college. I pitched 50 innings in a month, and the miraculous thing was that they let me in for all those 50 innings while giving up a run in each of those 50 innings, <laughs> probably. <laughs> consistent though yeah you know what you're gonna get yeah 2-0 change-ups letter high we'll see you all as a rookie after being escorted to the mound in a pink lincoln continental which is a a baller move he faced ted williams and didn't realize he was pitching to ted williams and i was actually blown away by that like that yeah. was that because that was his boyhood idol like how do you not know on? you gotta know that, see, you don't catch any, you don't catch any one of that. those conjecture things after the fact it's like oh i hit, i didn't even oh, know oh that was ted williams yeah <laughs> What did I? Oh, did I sh- okay. Like, like if my, if Mark Burley's pitching me in the minor leagues, I'm gonna know it's Mark Burley. Yeah. Another thing that was um, interesting, um, he did not like to wear underwear when he pitched, and he still has kids or had kids. Yeah, and he didn't like to wear a protective cup. Now, this is a a, a place that I would like to discuss as. As an infielder, did you wear a cup in college? I did, yep. You did? As a uh, as a first baseman, yeah. Yeah. Corner. I did not wear a cup yeah. as a pitcher. I felt like it. Ballsy move. Impin- literally. Yeah. Ballsy. Ballsy. It, uh, it impinged my Jimmy bits, nope. you know? <laughs> and um, so I wasn't blown away by that. But the underwear thing, I'm not I'm not down with that. Um, I can confirm that my entire yeah. sophomore year of college, every single uh, tournament that we bowled, did not wear underwear. Plumbers crack abound. No, no, no. Big belt guy. So, shirt tucked in still. Pants at a respectable level. Has this uh, has this little story here appeared on a previous podcast? I feel like it has. I feel like this is the it first may, time. It well, may, Wheelhouse hasn't heard about your 
your undergarmentless bowling days. Hey, I, my sophomore season was one of my best seasons in my college career. Should have kept going. Clearly did not. Look it up. Yeah. Sad boy. <laughs> yeah. I, so he was born in Michigan in 1935. He passed away in Mexico in 91, and he pitched for dozens of teams in between. Um, Mike Petriello goes on to list a number of bullet points here, significant things. And that's going to be the bulk of this podcast, kind of unloading each bullet point, talking through and giving our analysis. Um, I will um, link to the article in our show notes and or uh, Twitter as well. So you can check out the article and get some of the details that we're going to skim over. Um, Nine headlines in total. So we'll spend a couple minutes on each and then we'll have a good day. Number one, he pitched for at least 33 consecutive innings seasons 33 consecutive seasons sorry yes that is every year pitching professionally for more than our entire lives and just to compare um nolan ryan is like is the person that everyone talks about in baseball or is, is yeah the, the guy that pitched for however long like just just never that was jamie down. moyer i mean effectively <laughs> all right that's fair <laughs> And Nolan Ryan pitched, I think, 27 seasons? Yeah. I, I will confirm I would... this here shortly. But, yeah, Nolan Ryan was kind of the standard for performance into his older years and yeah, longevity. This guy's gotten beat by six. Yeah. Um, six yeah, that, years. Not yeah. not six innings. And, and, again. Six appearances. Six seasons. That's 33 that they know for sure in a row. Nolan Ryan was 27 years in a row. No, not in a row. 66, skip 67. 27 total, though. Yeah. Um, Brunette was originally signed by his hometown Dodgers in 1953. Uh, He never pitched in the bigs for the Tigers, though. He was cut uh, after three minor league seasons. Um, Brunette goes on to quote, you always get a little more fired up for the team that signed you. Um, In reference to facing the Tigers on other teams. Yes, he caught up. Uh, he caught on with the Philadelphia Athletics farm system just before they moved to Kansas City. He made his de- major league debut September fourteenth, nineteen fifty six. That's the one I really like because not only does this have to be early on or in you know a long time ago for the Athletics to still be in Philadelphia, completely forgot that they had a stint in Kansas City before Oakland. I completely forgot all about that. Yeah, that's bonkers. was it. Was that what the Kansas City Monarchs were, or was that something different? I feel like that was NBA. It might be. Why does that? The Monarchs were a Negro Negro League team. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. But Monarchs the, was a Kansas City baseball franchise. So what? They were not associated with the. the um. Game. Yep. Tucker Tucker nailed it. Negro Leagues. Boom! This began an odyssey for him. Uh, through literally dozens of teams from Shelby, North Carolina to Seminole, Oklahoma to Hawaii and all the way back again. So uh, after parts of four seasons with the A's between 56 and 60, Brunette saw big league time with the Braves, the Milwaukee Braves, the Houston Colt 45s. Bring that name back. Please. Give me Colt 45 and two zigzags. Baby, that's, that's all we need. need. I was thinking 45 by Shinedown. And I'm staring down the barrel of a 45. 
You didn't I, join in on that one, Mikey. I, I, he's, a, he's a shine down guy. I, yeah, I, absolutely, I, I, absolutely I love a shine that song. Guy. I'm only I'm gonna belt it. Us. He's the biggest. Yeah, I'm only so. gonna belt that in my car though. Okay. Also, um, Simple Man by Shine Down, better than Leonard Skinner's version. I like the cover. Yeah, it's a great job. Wow, you just lost some of the Skinner fan base there. <laughs> Sorry, um, <laughs> Houston Colt 45s. He pitched for the Baltimore Orioles and then hit his longest stretch in one place. The Los Angeles, California Angels from 64 to 69, serving nice. as their opening day starter in 1967. Ooh, getting a little successful here. According to Petriello, that catches us up to where the city log above finishes off. Because there is a picture. A picture of this. Yeah. It's not nearly the end. And it's wild. I just we're, we're talking like 13 years here in this list. More than 13 stops. Yes. M- much more. Mm-hmm. He'd go on to Seattle in 69, Washington in 70, the Senators then, not the Nationals. And it was the Pilots, not the Mariners. Oh, yeah. Uh, Pittsburgh in 70 as well uh, to finish off his Major League career. Seven games for the St. Louis Cardinals. So that's where it gets interesting to finish off his Major League career. In 71. Yes. Which puts us what? 16 year, 15 or 16 years into this guy's career. Yeah, which about halfway. Yeah. <laughs> Ish. Put on an Angels uniform again, throwing batting practice to his old team. He went back to Hawaii again, uh, played AAA for the Padres in 71 and 72. Eugene, Oregon, he played AAA for the Phillies in 73. And that finishes off his domestic career in the States. That's 21 seasons of professional baseball from 53 to 73 that's more than enough for most players well he still wasn't done uh in 74 he went south to poza rica of the mexican league and here's where it gets interesting at this point he was 39 years old he'd pitched for at least another 12 years and maybe more than that in his first major league season he faced williams who had debuted in 39 in his final season, he faced Joe Morgan, who would play until 1984. So if you do the whole six degrees of separation, Kevin Bacon style, and really this is just technically two degrees of separation. Yes. He he spanned a half a century. Yeah. That's bonkers. Yes. He began, this is point number two. So this is after, you know, he's done with the majors. He's made his way into Mexico. Yeah, at age 39. So he's already done 20 years in the bigs or in in domestic American professional baseball. And then he leaves America and goes to begin pitching in the Mexican League. Uh he began a Hall of Fame pitching career at age 39. We keep saying at least 33 seasons, and that's because conflicting reports get a little murky. Peter Peter Gammons wrote in a 1986 edition of the Sporting News, George Brunette, pitching coach of the Mexico City Tigers, pitched in two games in 1985. That meant he set a record having pitched professionally in 33 seasons. Brunette, 50, is eight games short of pitching in 1,000 pro games. And that's across all levels of play of any level of professional baseball. Yes. So we know he was active through 85. The problem is the records from the two Mexican leagues, the winter and summer leagues, in the 80s are somewhat unclear, and we kept finding reports like these. Brunette continued to pitch into his 50s in the Mexican league until 89. 
Uh, that was the Seattle Times in 2006. When he passed in 91 at 56, the Boston Globe noted that he had pitched until he was 54, which would also be 1989. We know that he got into those two games in 85, moonlighting from his job as the pitching coach, but we can't find any actual game logs or stats to support that he also pitched from 86 to 89. So whether or not he did or that one long-ago writer made one mistake that kept getting repeated until it was fact, we can't say for sure. We do know he pitched beyond a 1981 heart attack. And, and, and that means at 81, he was 46 heart attack. Let me bounce right back. I'm good. After all this time, he remained second in Mexican League history with a minimum of 2,000 innings thrown. So that's another 2,000 innings logged in the Mexican League. That started at 39. Started at the age of 39. 2.66 ERA, and he was second in shutouts. He threw 55 shutouts. I can confirm that that is low. Yeah. Well, no, the ERA is low. The, the shutouts, high. Low ERA, shutouts, high. He was inducted into Mexico's uh, Mexico's Baseball Hall of Fame, the Salon de la Fama, in 1999. It was noted that he'd played for Poza Rica, Coatzacoalcos, Tigres, Probably Aguila that. de Veracruz, <laughs> Saltillo, and Monterey <laughs> for 14 seasons in the Summer League and for nine additional years with Culiacan, Guasave, and Los Mochis in the Winter League. That doesn't mean 23 more years. It means that for many years in his 40s, he was pitching nearly year-round, tossing potentially three to 400 innings Because he was playing regular in the summer professional ball. And he was playing professionally winter leagues as well down in Mexico, which, I mean, my arm hurts after two months of wiffle ball. And speaking of the Mexican winter <laughs> leagues, former guest Matt Poverico mm-hmm. pitched in the Mexican winter league this year. One of the first ever guests. Might have been the first ever guest of Wheelhouse. He was very early, yes. Yeah. Very early on, he came over, did a great job. He was, he was definitely the first professional guest. Yes. A uh, couple teammates he had during his winter league. Guy named Fernando Tatis Jr. Ever heard of him? That guy rings a bell. Very rich. Robinson Cano. Ever heard of him? Cheater, but yeah, he was good. Uh, so he played. He's you know, Poverico has played in the Mexican league as well. Not, I I would argue, not nearly as impressive as a resume as George Brunette. Yet, uh, yet. A, a significantly better beard, though. Poborico rocked a an immaculate beard. I could see Poborico having a George Burnett type career, though. He's a gamer, loves the game, and he seems like a guy that's going to throw a lot of innings. And he could, he'll I give, mean, at this rate, he's not thirty. Oh yeah, he could. he's he's got plenty. Of, he's got a decade on George Burnett. He could build a legacy. Speaking Ooh. of his beard, also um, on the show, actually gave us um, a rundown of what he uses to groom his beard. Or was yeah. that was that after the show? No, he. No, he he went over it. Okay. And, uh, tried to procure a sponsorship from Cremo Company, um, to be determined on if uh, that sponsorship was required. <laughs> so, using all the sources available, Baseball Reference, the Encyclopedia, the Winter Mexican Pacific League, and the Record of Venezuelan Baseball, and, and another site uh, that Petriello links, they pulled together the most complete list they could find, and they're still not sure it's a hundred percent complete, um, but. There's 65 different entries into the log from 1953 to 1985. How many did you say that ended up being? 65 different entries. Ouch. 
Shelby, Seminole, Hot Springs, Columbia, Abilene, Crowley. Ten minutes later. <laughs> Culiacan, Saltillo, Monterey, Mexico City. So basically we see his major league stint not very long. 59, 60, uh, 61, 62. Uh, are you just talking about consistently? Because, I mean, he, he jumped into the majors oh, 56, in 56 57. and 57. You're right. And then uh, 64 to 71. Triple A, 71, 2, and 3. And then 74 to 85 in the Mexican League. Many different winter and summer leagues. Yes. And that's where you start racking up the number of entries because the summer league gets its own entry. The winter leagues get their own entry. Uh, and the entries are just different teams. So, like, you'll see... Two entries for 58, two for 59, two for 60, 61, 62. Um, the, so 65 different appearances on other teams that than we the know one of. he's currently on. Yes, and you'll see a lot of names pop up um, concurrently. Teams that he's been on, you know, he goes from the A's to Little Rock to the A's to Little Rock to Buffalo to Portland to A's. So it's just anytime he moved. Yes, 65 different moves that we know of. And that's the thing. And I love how it states here the fact that we know this isn't 100% complete. Uh huh. Like then, because that, they know how poor, especially back then, the records were for all the different Mexican leagues. Especially the winter league. And how do how do more people not know about this guy? How did how did we not know about this guy until this podcast? I uh, I was I'm telling you I, I came across this article. This was published in December of this, 2020. Yeah, yeah, this past December, and I just happened to come across it and I read it and I was just like, wow, that's 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 wheelhouse, baby. Yeah the the thing that's remarkable he the the Hall of Fame career came in the Mexican league, so that's why. He he pitched in the big leagues for 15 years, but there's plenty of guys that have pitched for 10-plus years that you don't And they're relatively people. obscure. Yeah. I mean, he made a living, made money. But you know, he had, he had a couple notable things in the bigs, yes. including no major leaguers ever worn more different uniform numbers than him. How many uniform 15. numbers? Yeah, 15. He wore 15 In 15 seasons. Uniform numbers from 56 to 71. Let's see if we can, without looking at the article... Who would have tied him? Tuck, you probably know. Who's he tied with? I th- I'm, I'm going to take a guess. Fernando Rodney is, is ringing a bell for me. As far as uniform numbers, it's going oh, okay. to be, be someone else. way back. Right. It's not just teams. Because like, yeah. the, then you're looking at like even Ricky Henderson. The most recent entry finished his career in 1981. He played from 67 to 81. I mean, yeah, because nobody changes numbers anymore because now you got like yeah, like when a star switches teams, you got that star. Like he'll who if someone already has his uniform number, he like buys him some fat Rolex and yeah. you know says, "Hey, I'll cover your meals for a year." I will give you the list, and I don't. Uh, um, starting off with uh, this gentleman who wore thirteen unique different numbers, we got Bobo Newsom. He said Bobo. And that's it. Okay. <laughs> Another gentleman at 13, Juan Pizarro. Juan Pierre? Nope. Uh, George's, George's brother, Ken Brett. Ooh, okay. I don't know if they're actually both. Wait, George Brett's brother or George Burnett's brother? It would be George Brett's brother. Okay. George Brett. 
George Burnett. <laughs> and then there is one other person that has worn 15 different numbers. That's Bob Miller. That's the most Standard, basic yeah. default <laughs> name. Oh, Bob C. Miller, of course. Yes. How many, um, while we're on this topic, how many different uniform numbers has Mike Fires worn in his career? Ooh. That's I, a good question for Google Man over here. Kubaka's going to find that. Give me just a moment. Um, I was, I was just trying to find a way to get him in this episode. I didn't force it by any means, obviously. It, all right, so let me let, let's play this game. How many different uniform numbers do you think Mike Fires has had? Three. It's actually four. Wrong. One. According to Baseball Reference, it is three. Oh, he has worn sixty-four. Don't give me the look. He gave me a conceited like <laughs> duh look. Hey, like an well, uh, he is. He is a self-proclaimed Mike Fires fanboy. So we all are, though. Not as much as you. Unofficial, official Mike Fires podcast. Yes. Uh, yeah, he was number 64, number 54, and then one number he's worn at three different stops. What number is that? I don't even know his number. 50. Yep, there it is. Oh. Nailed it. I don't know how. Who are you? <laughs> I'm kind of trying to figure this out. Yes. Uh, I'm super amazed by all of those things that he just got right. And now we are at four episodes in a row with Mike Fires. The four Mike Fires streak. No, it's been five, isn't it? Five, okay. I think we've hit all five. Okay, the the brawls, this one, the when you said qualifiers, that episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there was, and there was that, one more. Is that Mike, quala Mike Fires? I think that was the Hall of Fame episode because you said Hall of Fame qualifiers. Mike Fires. <laughs> yes. And so it began. <laughs> Oh, but that was episode two. What was episode one? Of what did we come one? back we, with? We, oh, the quarantine, the quarantine episode, or the COVID and, episode. And we touched on things that were missed because um, of all so, this, and it was and the Mike Astros, Fires. That's where Mike and the whistleblower so Mike Fires. Yeah. Everyone loves five a good origin story. Here we go. So, congratulations, Mr. Mike Fires. Number five, the number of appearances Mike Fires has made on, on our podcast. Um, <laughs> not a number that George Burnett has worn, but he has worn number four <laughs> as a pitcher. Which is interesting. He wore number nine, and then I don't a, see a, a lot of single-digit pitchers. Why is that? No, I, you, it's like the you kind of give them to the infielders. The infielders are the smaller. I, you know, in little league, it's like one, two, and three, or one, one through They're four. Little the little tiny smalls, shrimp kids. Five through nine are the medium. I was always a twelve yeah. or a thirteen. I was <laughs> always a five. I was a big that, boy. I was number five for Noma. Ooh, I like that. Yes. So. Uh, there's plenty of weirdness in there. For example, when he was sold from the Angels to the Pilots, um, he took number 39, which had already been worn that year by Gary Bell, who was traded to the White Sox in June, and Gary Rogenberg, who had somehow cycled through three numbers, 39, 44, and 46, in six weeks with the team before walking out on baseball entirely. That was why the Pilots acquired Brunette in the first place. But then Brunette ended up moving on to number 57, which Bucky Brandon had worn before being sent to Minnesota. Why? Uh, Absolutely no idea. Nope. He's just just making moves. I like this number today. (laughs) (laughs) Today I will be number 37. I I feel like a 37 today. You know what? Actually, I feel like a good 27 today. Let me do that. I just... When he was with the Pirates, he wore number four and number 22 in just a dozen games for Pittsburgh, back when it was still extremely odd for a pitcher to wear single digits. Is it? Is it still, still is. That's, that's what I'm saying. saying. Like, yeah. I mean, it's probably not nearly as odd because back then you were probably getting a lot of people who were kind of just assigned numbers a little bit. Can you name any off the top of your head in today's game? 
Carl Edwards, I thought. No, Carl Edwards used to, like, before he hit the majors. Yeah, I don't know. And he specifically said that he changed his number because he's already thin enough and it made him look thinner. Having a single digit on his back rather than two. Who? Carl Edwards. Carl uh, Edwards Jr., he pitched for the Cubs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now of the Mariners. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah. I don't. Off the top of my head, I'm not picturing anything. Yeah. No, not, like, nothing sticks out of me because, again, that's not a thing that's. Yep. Nope. Weird. Still number, weird. Number four on the list of George Burnett. He was part of maybe the worst inning of all time. Now, I witnessed Rat. I, did you? Rat might have witnessed the worst inning in collegiate baseball history. Most runs scored in an inning. Um, was I think it, it was my first. Was it the IUN or Chicago State days? It could have been either it team. Was Chicago State days playing Valpo. They scored the most runs in a single inning in NCAA history, a record that still might stand. How many runs was it? I'm going to say this was my junior year, your redshirt year, right? I no, I think it was before because we only played. The, I only played them once, and it was my junior year. So I was, I wasn't, I was not there for that. Casey Lewandowski, did you play with him? No. Okay, so it was that was that year. It was, I think, it was my true freshman year. I did not okay. pitch in this game. Um, they scored 21 runs. What inning? In one frame. Yes. What, what inning was it? I can't remember. I don't know how that matters. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I don't know why that would matter. Not not a great display there. I mean, no. twenty one is a lot to score in a, in a quarter of football. In a in a game, <laughs> like a baseball game, sure. So wait, you said you didn't pitch in this game? I did not pitch in this game. That is makes it, the story so much less fun. Is it still the record? I it's a little harder to find some NCAA records. I am doing a little searching. It says you. Ooh, so the first, the very top link of Google sent me to an article from 2011, and it was like an almanac of just stuff. Okay. A lot of stuff to sift through. This is very IPAE. This beer? IPAE. <laughs> IPAE. It's good. It's good stuff, yeah. In 1959, a 24-year-old brunette spent most of the year pitching for AAA Portland, but he got into two games for the Kansas City A's. The first one was bad, allowing two homers and five earned runs in two innings. The second was much worse. Four days later, the A's were down 8-6 to six to Rats White Sox entering the seventh inning. The deficit was 19 to 6 at the end of the 7th inning, a frame in which the White Sox had managed only one hit, a single. Three Kansas City pitchers had allowed 11 runs on one hit, three errors, a hit by pitch and 10 walks. 8 of those walks came with the bases loaded. <laughs> Not great. One hit. Yeah, let me just go score 11 runs. Sounds like my first year when I was coaching at Cal's. Like can't throw strikes, the few balls that are put in play that are manageable, errors. Buddha ball. We lost the game thirty-five to one. That's my first. That could happen. Yeah, I and they I don't have a mercy rule. No, they do. It's five innings. <laughs> oh, yep. <laughs> That's all I got. Just, That's oh. why, if you're a terrible team, it's better to be the visitors because you only the other team only gets to bat four times. We were the home team that game. We're <laughs> not faced eight hitters, every single one of them coming with the bases loaded. He walked five. That resulted in five runs. He hit Johnny Callison, that forced in an eighth, and he mercifully got a strikeout and a ground out. It remains the most bases loaded walks allowed in a single inning by any team or by a pitcher. George Burnett, five walks in the seventh inning. Steve Delabar, 
Do you guys know the name? Sounds wheelhouse-esque. Sounds very familiar. We have talked about him, uh, I think. Uh, Steve Delabar did the did a weighted ball training program and then all of a sudden started throwing gas, makes his debut with the Mariners, makes an all-star game, and then gets dinged for steroids. Whoops. Yeah. Although, here's my thing. If I was a fringe to somewhat kind of sort of successful player in the majors and someone came to me and just said, hey, look, like, here's something that we can do in this contract year. There's a very minimal penalty for getting caught your first time on steroids. I mean, look at something like D. Gordon. He had an MVP caliber season. Parlayed that into a fat contract, then get, got caught with steroids, 50-game suspension, first offense, and now he's just a dude who's well overpaid. Like, yeah. the, the the penalty for doing it in baseball, in my opinion, is far too minimal with these guaranteed contracts that you can get five or six years for, you know, $100 million. Mm-hmm. Cool. Now I have to give up what? months of that yeah I, I got i got to give up eight percent of that that's cool i'll i will still take the other 90 million thanks he was made infamous by jim bouton in the book ball four ever read it i have not i have a copy of it upstairs maybe that'll be my next one that Ooh. i read my next book yeah um he didn't pitch for the pilots for very long just a dozen late season games in 69 but in that time, he made enough of an impression to gain mention in Boughton's seminal baseball tell-all, Ball Four. Now, Ball Four is a book that was uh, revolutionary at the time, not for good. Jim Boughton earned a, a terrible reputation for almost, it was a tell-all book, right? The behind-the-scenes, profiling players, some, you know, a lot of people were unhappy that he wrote that book because of what he talked about in that book. Uh, similar to, like, Jose Canseco writing Juiced. When he wrote Juice and he was calling people out, he knew he was going to get the smoke. Yeah. Much like he did at the Rough and Rowdy. <laughs> Slime ball. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't good. No, I never wear undershorts, Brunette was quoted as saying in the book. Hell, the only time you need them is if you get into a car wreck. Besides, I don't, I don't know why you... Maybe like you're scared you're going to poop your pants. Uh, besides Maybe. this way, I don't have to worry about losing them. I just always felt more comfortable that way. Of course, getting out of the way of ground balls up the middle has cost me a few singles over the years. Okay. So, he was in uh, he was in the book Ball 4. So that I mean that's notable. Yeah. Some people would re- remember him as the guy that pitched without tidy whities. Okay. He was no Are you a tidy whitey guy? A boxer brief. Okay. Compression only, uh yep. no cotton. Oh, okay. So no, you're you're, I, I, oh. you're all dry fit. Yes. Sucking in. Oh, yeah. Never in my life did I think I'd spend $30 a pair of underwear. Duluth Trading Company, I will never go back. Armachillos. Uh, is that, is that a dry fit or is that a cotton? Pair of thieves. No, oh, they're compression. They're okay. Pair of thieves. Pair of thieves? Pair of thieves. Target? Ne- never heard of it. You're welcome. He was we'll notorious see. for, in quotations, enjoying life. The only trouble with George Brunette's arm, wrote Los Angeles Times sports writer Jim Murray in 1966, in the view of a round dozen baseball managers, is that it came attached to George Burnett. <laughs> he gained himself quite a reputation, um, but just bef- in 1959, he was going to be a starter for Kansas City, but just before the end of spring training, uh, and after apparently an enjoyable night, he decided to direct traffic in front of the team hotel at 2 o'clock in the morning 
stopping a car occupied by the team's general manager. <laughs> That's like the most like just drunken. I'm being weird. Like I, let's just, you're good. Come you're on, just, come on. on. You're good. You well, just Wait, hold, hold on. on. Hey, hold on. Come say, on. Hey, come on out. Um, <laughs> I've never directed traffic while under the influence, but I've never directed traffic. Uh, he, I, yeah, me neither. Actually, come <laughs> say. well, uh, kids at a around. I mean, I, maybe, you, yeah, I, I, I think um, I've probably the closest to guy. You know, like a slight arm raise, ball on the ball on the road. Kind it's of a thing. power move, though. You know, you yeah. feel powerful doing it. Yeah, I'm going to tell you when you can and can't. Yes, um, that's nice. When you, when the general manager sees you, um, you know, he was off the team. Whoops. A lot less probable. He helped the Angels' teammate Jack Hamilton crack a rib while wrestling in the clubhouse in 68. Um, he stood head and shoulders above most big league ball players in the postgame party department. Sounds like my kind of guy. Yeah, I, I so like George Burnett more and more. The more you read, the more you're like, you know, this is, this is every man's hero. Yes. Every time there was a song to be sung, a beer to be opened, a card to be turned over, or a town to be closed up, or a fight to be started... George was your man. He'll fit right in on this ball club, Bouton wrote when his pilots picked up Burnett. He's crazy. <laughs> so, um, Brunette. Uh, kind of got tired act. Yeah. The stories are always the same. It was always, here comes George, hide the bottle. That's all they wrote and talked about. It was either that or my weight. Even last year, even in L.A. and Anaheim, there were columns which embarrassed my wife and myself. I'm really a little disgusted with that whole bit. So uh, that was a comment from George Burnett in regards to his time as a ball player. So anything to add to that? Still sounds like my kind of guy. Sounds like a fun time. Yeah. Sounds like Herman Munster from the Munsters. I'm not familiar enough with. I mean, I I know who Herman Munster is, but that is about just it. a guy that's bigger than everyone else. Just he's stronger. And that's he the just... dad. Social then, yeah, 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 social cueing, not the best. Yeah, kinda, very goofy, goob, dorky. You know who I'm talking yeah. about, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. Fester, Uncle Fester. Turns that out. is that the monsters? No, that's the uh, Adam's family. Adam's family, uh, yeah, but very close to the monsters. Close ish, yeah. Okay, Sp- also I, spooky. Then I actually think that who I pictured was probably the dad from the Adam's family. Then speaking of spooky, um, Jeepers Creepers four. Assistant principal walked in while I was playing Jeepers Creepers over the speakers. Ooh, it's Jeepers Creepers. <laughs> Oh, the Billy Holiday Where'd song. Where'd you get those peoples? Yeah. And speaking of which, Jeepers Creepers 4 was announced. It's actually already been filmed. Oh. It's filmed in um in December and January, and wow. it's coming out in the fall. It's already been filmed. I'm in. Yeah. Oh, not, yeah. Not a, not a, not I'm, a spooky I'm, I'm movie I'm at the first, uh, first showing. Well, we might, depending on where the pandemic sits, we might rent a, rent a private theater. Ooh. Ooh, now we're talking. I'm in. I'll send Spencer. He's in on spooky movies. You'll come. I got, I got an idea for I'll, you. Saturday afternoon matinee, Jeepers Creepers 4, and then off to Niles Haunted House after. <laughs> Gonna be more out. <laughs> You're the worst. Come on. I, I just, Wor- worse, name a Mike that's worse at Haunted House. Mikey Wilson, Michael Bucket. I don't know, but he's trying to act like he's not a fan of Halloween stuff. He's not a fan of Shinedown. He's, he's, I never he, said he, I was he's not put, a fan of I, 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 I pulled yeah. out. But he was I the one out. person that didn't sing 45, and that's you the know, song he's probably listened to six times today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot confirm that. Every time he steps on the scale and it doesn't budge the way he wants to. And I'm staring <laughs> down the barrel of a forty five. Of, of the three of us. He's the biggest shine down guy. Well, you know, and he he's on this fit kick. He's lifting weights. He's losing weight. And then all of a sudden he's not the guy we thought he was. Season two. We're in season it's a two. Different, it's a different Mike. Yeah. 
I got I got nothing. It just nope, nothing. You know, you know what you do have? Probably a higher batting average than George Burnett. I hope. Eh, maybe. His was 89. Not good. 0. 0.089, uh remarkably low batting average. Um he he only got thirty seven hits and four hundred and eighteen at bat. Well below the Mendoza line. That is well, not good. That's less than half of the Mendoza line. And he's so bad. Brunette is so bad, but he's still so good because he's in the Hall of Fame. He did manage to bang out three homers though in sixty six, sixty nine, and seventy. Okay. One each year. So okay, Bartolo times three. Wow, he so only hit one bomb, right? Very, Bartolo? very Chris Davis with the C esque yeah. season. Yeah. Here's what I'm really curious about: what. So I, I, John Lester set a pretty, pretty poor batting record uh, for futility. Um, I'm trying to look up and see his career average, but he, if I'm not mistaken, he either tied or set the record for the longest streak of hitless at bats to start a career. John Lester, yes, poor guy. Obviously, uh, started in '06 uh, when he first started playing. He was in the American League, but I mean. Still got an average of about five at bats a season, you know, yeah. interleague play, zero hits, and it was kind of a big thing his first year on the Cubs. Um, and like, and for that year in perspective, he went four for 62. John Lester's, oh, but his career batting average is actually 107. That's so significantly better, yeah. 18 whole points better. Um, and, and and almost similar, he had 300, well, 372 plate appearances. So Yeah, about 50 off. How, yeah. many, home run, how many hits? Uh, he has, we are, where are we going here? 34 hits. Yeah, so, he, so Brunette was 37 for 418. Three big boys. One in 17, one in 18, and one in 19. Oh, one each year. Yeah, not last year. No pitchers batted. Universal DH. They're not bringing that back this year? Uh, no, they are not. Uh, and from what I understand, it just hasn't been voted on. Vote on it. That's what I'm saying. And, and uh, Don't get me wrong. It's always nice to watch a pitcher hit a home run. Like It was great for those couple of years where Madison Bumgarner was like just hitting tanks left and right. But they're bringing back the, um, the extra inning runner on second rule. I'm, I'm okay with that. In the regular season, come on, I, I'm I really am, and in a grind of 162, I'm okay with that in the regular season. No, give me one extra inning <laughs> and a timed home run derby. I probably would That's like that it. more. That would be better. What's what is the most fun part of an NHL game? Well, the shootout. So they here, like it. Then here's my question. All right, so you're already playing nine innings. Why are you even playing that extra inning at that point? Just to, straight into the home run derby. I'm fine with that. I got yelled at when I brought it up. On the, I think Rat said, oh, "Wait, no more extra innings? What? Do you hate fun?" I like. I'm old school. I just play the game out. And and you're and but just to confirm, that's just solely regular season. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, not the absolutely. How do you handle All Star game? What do you mean? If it's a tie game, are we doing still home run derby? Yes, probably even more so. Yes. And, and maybe more better, more longer, longer rounds. Juicier More people, ba- juicier baseballs. Yes, corked bat, aluminum bats. Yes, get, give them the big barrel college bats that these guys are hitting tanks with. Yeah, no, give them the BESR bats from 06. Ooh. before they went to <laughs> BB Core. Yeah, the oh. BB Core ones. The, the BESR bats they'd be launching to the moon. They'd 600. be hitting them out of Marlins Park, like <laughs> out 
through it. Yes. Okay. All right. That's fair. But yeah, no. Uh, Universal DH, good. Uh, I agree. Two more points here for Mr. Brunette, and we're out of him. He never pitched for the Red Sox, but he did have a hand in the Red Sox 1967 impossible dream season. Kubaki, do you know how? Um, I Not readily off the top of my head, no. So he did not pitch for the Red Sox during their season, but he helped them get where they needed to go. In 1967, the Red Sox were coming off of eight straight losing seasons. Uh, they were shockingly competitive uh, that year, though, in 67. Uh, on the first day of September, they had the best record in the American League. The Twins, Tigers, and White Sox were all within two and a half games uh, over in the Central. On the final weekend of the season, the Red, the Red Sox and Tigers were each one game behind of the Twins, with, with Boston and Minnesota facing off in a two-game season-ending set at Fenway Park. The Red Sox won both games to top the Twins, but the Tigers won the first game of a final day doubleheader with the Angels. If they won the second game, they'd have tied the Red Sox, forcing a one-game tiebreaker, which in those pre-division days meant a ticket to the World Series. Okay, so they didn't have the format quite yet. Yeah. California starter Ricky Clark lasted only five outs, but the Angels had built an 8-3 to lead entering the seventh. Jim McLaughlin gave up two Jim runs McLaughlin? to make it <laughs> made it eight five. So in the they brought in the closer Minnie Rojas, who'd had twenty seven saves that year. After escaping the seventh and pitching a scoreless eighth, he allowed a double and a walk to start the ninth, putting the tying run at the plate with no outs. In came Brunette, who was decidedly not a reliever. He'd started opening day and would throw two hundred and fifty innings that year. Still, he made a habit of harassing his hometown team over the team over the years, the Tigers. In 162 and two thirds innings against the Tigers, he posted a 3.60 RA. So, basically, harassing, like he was like harassing. 3.60 RA, that's not bad. And not to really put in harassing. perspective, his oh, his career RA was 3.6. So yeah, he did exactly you know he did exactly <laughs> what should have been expected of him against his former team. What is, what's more significant is that he pitched the day before. He threw uh, short rest. Yeah, Gutsy. he allowed four runs in over two innings. Yikes! So he got shelled, and they're bringing in him. And they're like, "Okay, here we go again." <laughs> um, so they were listening to the Tiger. The Red Sox were listening to the Tigers slowly blow the lead. Carl Yastrzemski has been quoted as saying, in regards to this, at the time. If Brunette does it, we'll buy him a year's supply of beer, understanding that Brunette would have very much enjoyed that. Absolutely. Brunette managed to induce a fly ball and a double play, ending the game, sending Boston onto the Fall Classic for the first time in over 20 years. He collected his fourth and final career save on that day as well, and he did that while suffering from pneumonia. So he's a grinder guy. uh, Michael Jordan flu game, George Brunette. Yes. Pneumonia game. Yes. Like, you can't talk about one without the other. And that's another reason why it's so remarkable. We have because they do go, they, they, are, they are so hand in hand that people tend to forget the brunette pneumonia game. Yeah. Which is wild. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's not a guy I'm mad about bringing in at the end of the game. Like, that, 
out of all the guys that might be able to just get those outs when no one else expected. Confidence meter not that high though. He got slacked the day before. But, but, but that's exactly like the reason why you're going to bring him in the next day. Yeah. Well, well pre <laughs> like pre pneumonia and mid pneumonia, not the same thing. No, like, pre pneumonia like you're dealing with the onset of it. He was in the thick of it at that he point. He had already he, his body was adjusted. Yeah. Mentally, he was there now. Yeah, I know and, how to deal with pneumonia and, and get guys out. Honestly, this guy who was willing to get drunk before opening day and direct traffic outside his hotel at 2 a.m. doesn't sound like a guy who's lacking the confidence. Well, find a better day to celebrate opening day. Right? Like, who cares if you're the about to be a starting pitcher on that team? Just, you know, let's go. He was excited for it, too. <laughs> uh, no, no word on if Yastrzemski ever got him that year's worth of beer, though. Sounds like he didn't need the help. <laughs> yeah. So, the last and final report, number nine, he reportedly almost made it back to the majors at age 47. This would have been like the perfect swan song for this goofy career. Yes. Uh, he told Sports Illustrated in 1980 that I know I can pitch two or three innings at a time up there. And openly amusing that he might go back to Anaheim and ask then Angels manager Jim Fergosi, who had been Brunette's teammate during his Angels stint back in the 60s, for a workout. He never did return to the Angels or any other major league team, but Peter Gammons reported in March 13th of 83, he might have come closer than you would have thought. The Angels' new Caribbean scout is George Brunette, Gammons wrote, but more interesting, when they purchased Louis Tiant last August, they almost bought the then 47-year-old brunette instead. They probably made a good choice with Louis Tiant. I believe he was decent. Tiant, most famously for his time with Cleveland and Boston, finished his career at age 47 or 41 with six late-season games for the 82 Angels. That could have been brunette. Maybe looking back, it should have been. It would have been the perfect capper to an extraordinary career. And then he actually went on to go continue to pitch another three to eight. It's kind of you know shoddy there, but three to eight more years. Yes, in Mexico. Again, once again, this article was written by Mike Petriello. He's an analyst for MLB.com, and he's also the host of the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Which, if if this article is something that stoked your fires as it did for us, is that Mike you might want to check out the Ballpark Dimensions podcast as well. But, uh, man, George Burnett, um, a guy. Yes. Mr. Longevity. Yeah. I, I'm I'm glad that just you reading this article, you enjoyed it as much as I did. Because, like I said, I, I happened to cross it because I get these MLB up notifications, push notifications on my phone that I – I've never cared to turn off, but I also almost never cared to click on them. Yeah. And it was literally the Hall of Fame pitching career began at age 39. I'm like, what? Odd. Yeah. You know, this is good, good fodder. And I read it. And I'm like, wow, this that's that's wheelhouse. Well, and this and this style of podcast too, just just going over going over the information that has been so meticulously brought together by someone else. Yes. And offering our con our commentary to it too. Um it made our job easier. We Absolutely. would not have done as as thorough of a job as someone who's you know full fully employed to do something of that nature. Uh, but like I said, Petriello did a good job. I just want to make sure that it's clear that we're we're not claiming to write the story. Nope. But we will gladly comment and and give our thoughts on it. And 
uh, you know, we're going to have to go on DH gate and see if they got any brunette jerseys. You know what I mean? <laughs> Let's go. If not, they always have that custom, like you can just put whatever name yeah. you want. But now here's the question. What number are you taking? Yeah. You gotta, <laughs> what jersey? Gonna what an, team? Gonna what number? It's going to be an expensive if you try to cop one of it. There's there's 15 different numbers on X, different jerseys. And as far as major league teams, what are we at? Eight? Yeah. Eight Bunch teams? Of them. Yeah, I don't know. I can't even. I believe that. I believe it was eight, but yeah, regardless, lots. You only have answer. to buy one Mike Fires jersey, though. Hey, you could buy his old numbers, but we Mike Fires jersey. Well, um, if you if you bought one off DHK, what team you going with? Uh, As- Athletics. He's on so, the, so the team. Now. He's on now. Yeah. Okay. Where's well, he been? Astros. Astros yeah. Does Astros and Brewers? A's? He's on the Brewers. No. Yeah. He was. I'm definitely taking the Brewers jersey. Athletics. I'm going with an A's jersey. I think well, I want an Athletics because it it symbolizes his desire to leave. Yeah. Astros. <laughs> yeah. You know. You know what? I'm gonna I'm going to take the brief one season stint with the Detroit Tigers. For oh, Tigers. I forgot he was over there too. <laughs> for fires. Yeah. Uh, oh, and for George Burnett. Well, that's what we need to do when the when the A's come to town. We all need to go in our different fires jerseys. There we Astros go. Astros jersey and A's jersey. I'm 100% in. <laughs> you know he will. He That's a day at the ballpark. He will have to come talk to and, us. Well, I mean, I don't know if Jeremy is really. And, you know, we could have him and I pull some strings. I don't yeah, think. Oh, of course. Yeah. I don't think Jeremy's actually capable of doing something like this. We and you are, though. Goofy facial hair. Fires has done that before. Jeremy doesn't really get enough growth to get creative. I can get like a weird looking mustache. That's about, <laughs> well, we, that's about as funny as I can get. We can get his goatee. We can like dye it or something. Or a fake beard. Oakland A's color. Yeah. yeah or we, we can go. rock a fake beard. Yeah. Oh, and just to answer the question. Hey, uh, Scott Spezio hardly had any facial hair, but he had he had a little <laughs> bit on the chin, <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he dyed it red. So it was goofy facial hair. Okay, I could do that. Okay. Yeah. Um, to, to take uh, George Burnett, if you want, the full collection of George Burnett jerseys, yes. numbers, and teams, you would need 18 different George Burnett jerseys to cover yeah. all numbers and all of his stops. Okay, so that's a lot. That and that's just major leagues. Yes, that was. We have not touched on the Mexican league option yet. That's that's another twenty-one different. I'm not gonna lie though. I would assume that some of those jerseys would probably be a lot cooler. Oh yeah, maybe a little more. Well, yeah, eh, back then, back in then, yeah, yeah, it's still probably standard thick, white, thick boys. Yeah, a lot of cotton. I cool. made that mistake, by the way. One of my favorite fifty-nine fifty flat bills from New Era. I got. Is it was one of the Cooperstown classic throwback hats, uh, Tampa De- Tampa Bay Devil Rays, got the full rainbow brim. Throwing it back to 1997. Yeah. <laughs> I was a child then. That is a throwback. <laughs> that was a long time ago. It was more than two decades. But uh, completely 100% wool. Like it was made like Ew. the classic hats too. Great hat, spring and fall. Yeah, not a good summer hat. <laughs> I could see we not got the sweat all. line coming in. Oh Ooh. yeah, not not good. Not a good summer hat. All right, everybody. Um, next week we're going to be covering a topic that we will find out uh, about the day before we record, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, mentioning Mike Fires for the sixth podcast in a row. Once again, thank you for listening to the Wheelhouse Baseball Podcast.
Thank you for listening to the Wheelhouse Baseball Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Wheelhouse Pod for more news and updates. See you next time.